0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: If I ventured in the slipstream, this episode of Inside Golf Podcast Between is brought to you by RickRunGoods.com. This week for the website, I wrote about optimal one-and-done strategy. It is uh, it's one-and-done season. One of my favorite ways to invest more money into pro golf. I have had uh, some success in this format over the last couple of years. I think there's a couple of tricks and rules to live by when it comes to optimizing strategy. And so I wrote a little guide about some things to know before playing one and done and you can find that on the website right now every single week for the rest of the year even on weeks when there's not a pga tour event i am producing content for the site and that is the only place to reach me for personal questions as well as in that slack channel so head on over to rickrungoods.com promo code andy and we would love to have you as part of that community For all of my football content, Ship It Nation is the place to go. My NFL picks this season back up, creeping over 60% in the NFL. Just catching CLV everywhere. It's been a wild run in the NFL over the last three years. Way to beat NFL is knowing when to bet. And that is why Ship It Nation has given me this platform to post all of my bets when I make them for, you know, serious NFL bettors that are serious about following and making money on the NFL, not to mention how much Tambo and Hoop and all the Ship It Nation members have been killing it on the DraftKings side as well. So shipitnation.com, promo code ANDY to take an extra 10% off. Join in now. A couple of lines actually today that I would recommend moving on pretty quickly. One more thing to mention, Inside Golf Podcast is now on Instagram. Been holding out on taking the leap for years. My girlfriend finally put enough pressure on me to make it happen. She's done a wonderful job. With the Instagram thus far and every single week we'll be posting clips from the podcast so it'd mean a lot if you have an Instagram if you could follow Inside Golf Podcast on Instagram just post a clip the other day about a U.S. Open bet that you need to make right now really trying to grow the community over there so if you support the podcast or are a fan of the podcast no really dropped the ball in the marketing aspect for years but uh, December's a good month to set some goals and implement some new changes. So if you could help us out in that direction, that would mean a lot. All right. Coming up on this podcast, I'm bringing on my good friend, Patrick McDonald of CBS Sports to talk about the 10 biggest storylines entering 2024 in professional golf. We had a lot of fun with this one. It's a little more lighthearted than some of the rather self-serious and cynical rollback and fractured golf world conversations that I am very much culpable in. Uh, hopefully this one is a bit of a palate cleanser for you. I will say quick programming note as well. I am on vacation this week in Hawaii. So Patrick and I recorded this pretty much the day before the ink dried with John Rom going to live. Uh, We recorded this about a week and a half ago. So we pretty much operated under the assumption already in our conversation that this was already a done deal. So I don't think it's Really gonna feel dated when you listen to it, but I think we recorded this on December fifth so if you hear us talking in the future tense a little bit, forgive us had to get ahead of the game when I go on vacation i would uh I'd rather release a podcast well, it's in my contract anyway than not having having anything out there so everything we talk about, even the roM stuff i I still think is pretty pertinent, not really dated at all so We hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. And let's bring on Patrick. All right. Patrick McDonald is here. First Cut Podcast, CBS Sports. We are recording this on December 6th. Probably going to release this sometime in mid to late December. So we apologize in advance if some of these takes age poorly. It's been an unusually spicy time in golf. A lot. A lot for us to chew on today.
2: Yeah. It's too bad. You know, my, my takes typically have a shelf life of three weeks max. This this episode, I feel like might expose me a little bit. But yeah, like you said, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, corporate time, I mean, that, that's the bread and butter, right? You're at your cubicle, you're barely working, but you're still clocking 40 hours a week. But uh, yeah, it's been quite busy for us.
1: Bill Simmons has this bit on his podcast where he talks about the Tyson zone to describe like it got to a point with Mike Tyson where a news story could come out and there's nothing that could happen and you would be surprised, right? Like Mike Tyson bites somebody's ear off. Okay, that kind of checks out. Mike Tyson buys a tiger. Okay, I can kind of see that. I feel like professional golf has entered that zone where there's not a thing that could happen tomorrow morning where at this point I'd be shocked. I could wake up tomorrow morning or in two weeks from now, and you could tell me, okay, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson are co-CEOs of a new live TGL PGA tour venture where half the events, you hit the ball into a screen. The other half of the events are 54 holes. Some of them are 72 holes. Like you could tell me that Peter Costas, launched a silent rebellion storming the gates of St. Andrews tomorrow about a golf ball that gets rolled back in 2030. N- nothing would surprise me at this point.
2: No one knows anything. And and that's been the case for the past couple of years. And the people who are out there hooting and hollering saying they do know stuff are typically just doing it on feelers and they don't know anything like the rest of us. So Yeah, I mean, we're pretty much, what, two, three years into the whole golf saga, so to speak, and I I think I'm more on edge now than I have been ever.
1: Right. It's it's hard not to be. So I think we'll probably cover some of that stuff in what we do this evening. We did this last year, too. I think it's a fun time in December. Hopefully, this will be a little bit more lighthearted than some of the stuff that's coming out in the golf world right now. But I asked Patrick, give me the five biggest storylines, things you're most excited to follow in 2024. I came up with five as well. So we're just going to, I'm sure there's some overlap. So we're just going to go back and forth. They could be obvious, they could be ridiculous, they could be small, they could be big, but we're just going to basically go back and forth and talk about, hopefully we compile a list of seven to 10 of the most interesting, fascinating, engaging, intoxicating things to watch in 2024. You want to go first?
2: Yeah, sure. You said they'd be fun and more lighthearted than what is currently going on in the game. So I'm just going to nip that in the bud immediately with the first one. And what I am looking forward to the most in 2024 is how is Live Golf and the PGA Tour going to coexist? I think it is the biggest question currently in the game and it is clear to live golf is going to stick around, but in what manner? And, you know, maybe it's even the PGA tour that could fold for all we know. Right. Uh, I think Yasser and the Saudi Piff definitely have the upper hand in negotiations, but I've been kind of screaming from the mountaintop since the framework agreement that some sort of champions league style format is going to be in play where, the PGA Tour will be home to stroke play event stuff, and then on Live Golf, or maybe they rebrand it to whatever. You'll have eight team events with, you know, the guy, the captains they got now, and the top players from the PGA Tour. How they figured that out, God knows what, how, <clears throat> how. but uh, I'm really looking forward to how that happens. I don't think it's a coincidence that Live Golf scheduled four events across from signature events on the PGA Tour. Yeah. They typically try try to avoid those on the calendar. You know, go against the Honda classics and the Luster Fields, and the fact that they kind of went toe to toe with the Arnold Palmer, the Memorial, Travelers, and uh, the AT and T Pebble Beach. I think uh, I might be looking too into it, which I have a habit of doing. But I, I think there might be something there, and kind of how they might coexist uh, moving forward.
1: Do you think one of the reasons why they're doing that? Because you're right. The first two years, they were really defensive with their schedule, right? They weren't taking on any of the premier PGA tour events. You know, They weren't trying to go head to head with Riviera. They weren't trying to go head to head with Bay Hill or even Torrey Pines or waste management. Do you think the change now is an indication that they might be a little bit more confident, which probably they have every reason to be now, given what could be perspiring with the ROM news, which is which is one of mine. So we could probably use this opportunity to talk about both. But do you think maybe the more liberal scheduling of we're just going to pick the dates that we want is them saying, okay, maybe we've got a lot more leverage in this situation than we did in previous years?
2: Yeah, that, that's kind of how I took it. Where they know they're in a pretty good position compared to the first two years. And even if it's a scenario where, you know, we we talk about kind of the fluidity in between tours, what that's going to look like. I'm not sure anyone really knows at this point. I mean, the signature events, those four are only 80 man fields. You tack on the 48 from live and that's pretty much a full field PGA tour event. If they wanted to go that route somehow and maybe, uh, cut the contracts with the courses they had in mind. I- I'm not totally sure, but I-, I think it does exude a bit of confidence.
1: Okay, here's our first opportunity f- for this podcast to age really poorly. Do you feel comfortable saying live to Rom is uh, Rom to live is done? Is is that a done deal? Like, are, are we fully there?
2: <laughs> oh man! So it is a Wednesday night. I forgot. i feel like the news is gonna drop december morning. december 26
1: <laughs> so i'll just give in case people are listening to this in two weeks I'll, I'll give everyone the information that we have at our disposal right now the telegraph report comes out which is the first time that you're getting it from a more traditional media source right this is this is not me taking shots at some of the Twitter uh, live fan accounts that you know to their credit, if they're right about this, like, they did have this way before anyone else. They've been wrong about a ton of things, but the Telegraph was the first report where a guy like James Corrigan, who actually does have a really good track record on this stuff, came out and did not say Rom is going to live, but he did say that his sources believe it to be. Expected coming soon. Many of his peers expect it to be a, a done deal. And then you have people like the No Laying Up podcast saying something smells really funny here because we have a relationship with Rom. We have a relationship with Rom's agent and we've reached out to him. We've reached out to PGA Tour players and we've gotten nothing back. PGA Tour players have said that they've reached out to Rom and they've gotten nothing back. So you know, either ROM's on, I guess, silent meditation retreat in the Himalayas, or there's, there's at least some smoke, there's at least some fire to the smoke.
2: Yeah. I don't know if I'm comfortable saying ROM to live is a done deal. Cause in that Corrigan report, and I think people kind of glossed over it a little bit. And based on who I've talked to within live golf, they don't know much about it. It's Ram is negotiating with the Saudi PIF right now, for that report. He, he's not negotiating with the Lip Golf, he's negotiating with the Saudi Arabian government. <laughs> what, what a world! Absurd. <laughs> <laughs> it is absurd <laughs> to even say out loud right now, oh, yeah, the reigning master's champion. He's just, yeah, he, he's negotiating with the Saudi Saudi government right now. And the timing of it is not coincidental with the negotiations. And I've thrown it in our Slack a bunch where, and Corrigan hit it on the head too per per sources where, you know, Yasser can come to that meeting with Rahm in his back pocket and be like, hey, Jay, this is what you're going to give me or else I'm going to take Tony. I'm going to take Patrick. I'm going to take Xander. And I'm going to keep going down the list until your tour is gone. And it's Rory McIlroy playing against, You know the hundredth player in the world pretty much and yeah and and, you know we all love rory but no one's gonna love watching that that much and so there's concessions that i think either spieth or someone said it at the hero where there are things the pga tour side isn't going to be willing to give up and i'm starting to believe it is the CEO position in the Enterprise Starship, the PJ Tour Enterprise, I've, I've just started calling it the Enterprise Starship, <laughs> where that, that's currently Jay's role for mm-hmm. the initial framework agreement is, you know, Yasser will get a board seat, but Jay's the CEO. I'm starting to believe Yasser wants to become the CEO of it. And, I'm starting
1: to believe Jay Jay doesn't make it out of that negotiation alive. I, I, no pun intended. Potentially. <laughs>
2: <yeah>. Potentially. <laughs> And so I, I think what Rom has been doing, from you know his his personal point of view, is, is pretty smart. I mean, I think Jay kind of gave the okay for players to accept the money on June sixth, right? I mean, he got off the moral high ground and said, "Well, I'm going to take the money for the league." But right. after all, I said, "You guys can't take the money for the league." So if you're looking for money. Like not quite a quick rich scheme, but kind of. I I think Rahm's doing it right, where he's waiting it out. He's the chess piece at the moment, and he has the potential. He's going to get paid hundreds of millions by someone by doing this. Uh, whether that's with the PGA Tour or, or with Live Golf, someone's going to pay him a boatload of cash. So, it, it was a good time and good place for him to become leverage. Whether that turns out, he becomes a member of Live Golf. I have no idea, dude. I mean, everyone's been saying it's a done deal. It's a done deal. I I don't want to make a prediction. I'm wrong, dude. I'm wrong so much. <laughs> I'm batting below the Mendoza line right now. So <laughs> right right now, I I I can't I can't do it. By the right way, now. any I'm, golf I'm
1: gonna... prognosticator that says they're batting above the Mendoza line are lying to you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that too. <laughs> So I'm gonna say John Rom. I don't know if he's gonna become a member of Liv.
1: So let's operate because this was one of mine. Was let's operate in a world for a second where Rom goes to live. One of the things I am more fascinated about is: does that change anyone's relationship to live? Do more people watch the golf? I think what gets lost on a lot of the live discourse is conversations about the actual golf being played feels like such a secondary story in anything related to live. And one thing I'm kind of fascinated about is, you know, do more people watch because of ROM? And if people, if more people don't watch at some point, does that ever become a problem? Because like you mentioned, you laid it out very eloquently. It seems to me, too, like her, has all the leverage in this situation based on the amount of money that they have and the fact that the PGA Tour leadership has been so bungled across the board over the last two years. The one point of leverage that I would expect the PGA Tour, that the one bargaining chip that they have is two years in, I would think the fact... That nobody still watches the golf on live at some point. Does that ever matter? A- and maybe it doesn't. Like maybe you see her looks at it like this has always simply been a bargaining chip. We're going to continue to light money on fire. But two years in, I don't think that there's anything that live can do anymore to make people watch the on course product. I put out a poll the other day. What is What makes you more likely to watch live? Strokes gained or John Rahm? And strokes gained 170 to 30, right? And uh, I've learned from some of the comment section that that isn't happening anytime soon based on the stranglehold of the relationship that PGA Tour has with Shotlick. And pretty sure gambling's illegal in Saudi Arabia too, right? So what's curious to me is like, does this change how we view live at all if rom goes like let's operate in a world where next year rom is captain of the fireballs and you know maybe there's one or two more guys that that fall in line with rom what does that golf world look like does that legitimize live for you in any way does that make you less interested to watch tournaments you know rom won four times on the pga tour last year rom won like some of the biggest events on the PGA tour last year. And I'm just curious what the actual golf landscape in terms of our relation to what's happening on the course changes at all. If John Rahm is playing for Lev instead of the PGA tour, maybe it's a stupid question. Maybe it doesn't even matter.
2: No, I think it's fair, right? I mean, how many needle movers have there been in professional golf over the last handful of decades? Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson. Yeah, and even Phil doesn't really. I mean, it's the back half of his career, granted, but I wouldn't say he really moves it in terms of getting eyes onto the lift product. And well,
1: well, look at it this way: Brooks Kepka has three hundred thousand more Twitter followers than John Rom. I'm pretty sure Brooks Kepka's wife has more Instagram followers than John Rom. Brooks Kepka does all these podcast appearances. Bryson Deschambeau has a bigger social media following than John Rom. Cameron Smith wins the most monumental, consequential, seeming major championship of the last decade. And none of those guys changed the numbers of the of the pure amount of eyeballs on Liv. Now, maybe what Rom brings is different, right? Rom is like largely viewed as this voice of reason by many people in, in golf. Rom I would say, is more respected uh, than a player maybe like Brooks Koepka or Bryson DeChambeau. But Rom is not the biggest star that Lev has gotten, and it did not change how many people watched the golf.
2: I, I have found that I am like too close to golf sometimes, if that makes sense. Not <laughs> yes. the general fan at all, where... I I bet in the in the United States cuz I get hit on for having the uh the American view the snarky yankees in the United States I would bet mm 50% of weekly golf viewers wouldn't realize John Rahm isn't on the PGA tour anymore because the average I fan gray yeah the United I think you're States right is okay, I'm going to watch the four majors every year. I might turn on Live from or look up a golf podcast to get me prepped with all the information I need. I'll do the office pool, make some bets, and maybe I'll watch, like, the players, too, or the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup. And and that's kind of it. And so, I mean, I think Liv could bring a lot of people over, but the golf fan is just like, you know, they're not diehard. We're not talking about college football fans or NFL fans where they're locked in week to week to week. Yeah, there is a pretty good subsection of those fans out there. But like you said, they're into the data, the strokes gained, Liv doesn't have that. So I'm not really sure what they could do. They're kind of in between a rock and a hard place where the product doesn't resonate with those week to week fans. And they also like Want to differentiate from the PGA Tour? Where, look, I wasn't a believer in the TGL that much. I thought it was dumb. I knew it wasn't for me or my age group or whatever it may be. But the thing I did applaud is they they went out there and did something completely different, or they're gonna do something completely different, something bizarre. You know, we're hitting it into a mat in front of 2,000 people where Live Golf tried this new product, which you know, they're still working on, still tweaking, whatever it may be. But it, it's pretty much just the same thing as the normal PGA Tour. They just have, like, a, they add a team score at the end also. So I'm not sure, like, if, if Rom's going to be able to fix that. I know the, the, the Flushing It Twitter account had the rumor that he wanted a new format as well. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, like, anyone could really change the pr- perspective of the average golf fan because they're not really paying attention too much do you know how many times i've gotten the question wait john's go- john ron's going to live i thought the pga tour and live merged what yeah. are they doing yeah oh it's it's every time i step out my door i swear to god every time i'm like oh, i can't do this anymore <laughs> i've started you know i think about that Max Noma tweet where he talks about uh <laughs> being a real estate agent in ubers i've started to do that.
0: <laughs>
2: like, I can't talk about this anymore with you guys. I, I explained it to Johnny over there. Jimmy, I don't have time for you right now. Um, and, and that that's the vast majority of golf fans out there.
1: I think my favorite tweet on all of this is, you have to wonder if the 36 million Saudi citizens know that their government is paying 500 million for a Spaniard to play golf while 78 people watch on the CW. Oh, my goodness. I'm kind of with you. I think that Rom does differentiate himself from different players in the past of similar star level that have gone to live in the sense that most media members, most fans have a lot of respect for Rom. Uh, They may not be diehard fans of his, but when he talks, they listen. I don't think Bryson carries that level of respect he's still more of a caricature and even brooks like people know the brooks shtick by now brooks cares about four weeks out of the year so you were never going to put your butt in front of a tv to watch brooks play a non-major on live just like you were never gonna put your butt in front of a tv to watch what brooks did on the pga tour right but rom does occupy this very interesting different space uh like he's this golf historian who cares deeply about the game. He cares deeply about the Ryder Cup. People know who he is after the Masters. He's got two majors now, and I guess the only counterpoint to it is it, it could legitimize them and and maybe move the needle for them in a way that Brooks and Bryson and Cam Smith weren't really able to do because they just occupied a different space in the golf eco ecosystem. More, you know, than it. The, The other side of that is, it's just another story of a golfer in his prime that you know most people now neglect outside of four weeks of the year. I don't know. I'm gonna. We're both gonna tune in to watch Rom's first shot on Live. I know that because it's our job. But it's it's fascinating to me. We can move on though. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, That's um. I'm good. Moving on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go next.
2: My next one is. Will the signature events on the PJ Tour have the same tug of type of success? Because you That's think about the changes that they have made, the only cuts being in the player invitationals, uh, eighty man fields. You don't really have the the storylines like uh I mean Kurt Kitayama I thought was one of the more underrated wins of the year, him fending off Rory, Speeth Cantley, Scheffler at Arnie's place, and you know, those kind of came out of thin air. The PGA tour kind of pulled those out of their ass when making them. And it it seemed like this was kind of the same situation when changing them a little bit. So I think, will they be a success will be, you know, something I'm looking at, especially as that petition from the lower middle class of the PGA tour comes out where they're trying to, you've
1: hit on one of mine, the mule uprising. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> trying to change things. And I, I think, you know, I asked this the other day, is there like anyone happy on the PGA tour right now? No, <laughs> Mon- Monaghan has managed to piss off the top players, the middle tier players who one kind of had got the golden ticket. The last couple of years with the middle tier of the PGA tour moving out, you think, of, I mean, you look at the 50 to 70 range, they got completely crushed by live. And now they kind of got the short end of the stick with getting into signature events, too. So it, it's it's just all wow to me. And if signature events are a positive, if they change at all before we get there, I doubt they do. Uh, it's something I'm looking at.
1: Yeah, I've talked about this a lot on podcasts before. But this subplot of bottom-of-the-barrel PGA Tour players coming out, And voicing their displeasure with the status quo is incredibly fun to me. I I think this is going to be loads of fun this year. And I think you said it best with, I don't think anyone's happy, right? I wrote down this this anti-Faldo tweet in my notes on this, where he said, pro golf in 2023, the middling players want to be played like top players, even though they bring in close to zero dollars from a revenue perspective. And the top players want to be paid like NFL quarterbacks, even though the entire sport doesn't bring in that much money. And I don't necessarily think that like Chris Stroud is necessarily any more delusional than some of the top players that think people were going to watch them on live or in the TGL maybe. But at least the top players still play really good golf. Their mindset in terms of, What they think they are worth versus what they're actually worth might be completely out of touch. But I think tracking the frustration from the players that have had every opportunity to play better. I don't know how this happened. I mean, I do know. And I think it is this is what happens when an irrational actor enters the marketplace and creates disingenuous value, right? Like somebody like Chris Stroud probably looks at some of the guys that went to live. Charles Howell, Danny Lee, Cameron Tringale, Kokrak, that level of player who have made more on live in the last year than he probably has in the last five years. And he says, you know what? I'm not that much worse than those guys. This isn't fair, right? And that's kind of the situation that we're operating in right now, right?
2: Yeah, it it really is. I do like the point that you made where yeah, I know Chris Stroud took plenty of heat for it, but I don't think you're wrong. Where some of the top guys definitely have that same delusion, where they think they're like hot shit, cream, cream of the crop, star of the show, and it really is like if I walked into a Starbucks today, or any normal person walked into a Starbucks today. Not me. I'm a bad example because I'm a freak. <laughs> like. No one would really recognize them. No. And so, yeah, I think you hit it bang on there.
1: And what I would say to Chris Stroud is you know what? It's not fair. Like I said, you know, the Cameron Tringale, Honor Bon Lahiri, Charles Howell, Danny Lee, that division. I would argue that that group of players have been the biggest winner. In all of this, the number one, maybe if Rahm signs for 800 million, he's the number one biggest winner. But in terms of the most disproportionately compensated athletes in all of sport and what that has done to create a ripple effect where all the guys with similar skill levels that are not good enough players to win a lot of money on the PGA tour are now just deliciously salty. I think from like a macro view, I think it is one of the uh, the funnier subplots uh, in golf in, in the last decade, honestly.
2: In, in what other sport can you be an out-of-shape 40-year-old making millions of dollars? None. NASCAR?
1: NASCAR, maybe? I don't know. You you got me there. Yeah. it's pro- It's yeah. probably
0: just golf. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Uh, all right, so I'll go next. I'm going to give not really a big curveball, but I'm surprised we haven't talked about him yet is tiger on your list at all
2: sort of it's a a trickle down effect that tiger's on it
1: okay so maybe we could use what i'm curious about with tiger to dovetail what you wanted to talk about with tiger too but tiger looks huge this is not like a a tiger is is on steroids tick i'm i'm not interested in that discourse although i thought that was one of the stranger developments over the hero did you catch some of those tweets of people mostly live fan accounts really going deep on like his sweat patterns we live in a world in 2023 patrick where you got a 48 year old man tiger being accused of being on steroids phil mickelson a 52 year old man He's on Ozempic apparently. That's where we're at in the golf world in 2023.
2: I I am lucky to have missed all those tweets. But yeah, I mean that, that boy was sweating and he definitely looked like a yield sign out there in the Bahamas.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he you know he what I thought to dive into what I was going to ask you about in terms of expectations for tiger in 2024 what was interesting to me is that he ranked fourth and now listen let's take all this with a grain of salt it's a hit and giggle in the bahamas he he ranked fourth in strokes gain off the tee at the hero he ranked finished 18th out of 20 players made 19 birdies i wouldn't say that he played that poorly but there's a lot of room for improvement in the sense that in the 20 person field he was the worst iron player in the entire field, right? And, you know, if you want to be optimistic about it, you could say, you know, Tiger's probably the best iron player ever. And historically in this iteration of Tiger, in the mid to late forties iteration of Tiger, just statistically off the T has been his bugaboo. So it's kind of a, a Rorschach test, right? Of how you want to look at Tiger. An optimistic view could be, man, if he's, Been in the gym pumping up his upper body and figuring out this new driver move that allows him to gain a ton of strokes off the tee every week. If he could just figure out the iron play, which is he's always been good at, then maybe he's got a real chance here to do something special. Or, you know, you could look at this probably more rationally and say, okay, how many times are we going to do this?
2: Yeah, I I think my expectations of him. to play half a dozen times i know he said once a month and people are like oh my god we're gonna see tiger woods 12 times it's like Mm -hmm. all right no one sees the golf season as a year-long thing it's eight months he's not gonna play in january i don't think he'll play at tory and you're gonna get him at la of course where he has historically struggled maybe the players maybe he decides to do the api instead they are back-to-back weeks. who knows and then the four major championships and I guess my expectations of him are, you know, I think it'd be a great year if you made four Sundays. If you made it to four Sundays, I think that's a very successful year because Augusta has been quite cold the past two years. You think about uh, 22, that rainy cold, or not rainy, that cold Saturday that threw him for a loop. He played horrible there. Obviously, the walk is very tough. And then last year with the rain, the open, anything could happen there. And then his best shot, I think, is probably gonna be the U.S. Open at Pinehurst. Nice and hot there in North Carolina, flat golf course. Firm
1: and fast, um, ball ball runs forever on the ground. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and so I think if he makes it to four Sundays, maybe tickles us a little bit at the U.S. Open. I think that's a great season for Tiger Woods.
1: I think I'm with you. I actually think Pinehurst is the one that he's the most live at if I just gave you right now you're a bit of a gambler yourself too I don't know what the odds on this would be but if I just gave you you can have Tiger he's going to be top 10 at one of the majors this year are you taking the yes or the no on that
2: I'm taking the no
1: I'm probably taking the no but I, I think I'd take the yes on a top 25
2: I'm still I mean there's so much injury built up yeah. where he talked about there's, how the there's only like fine. seven, seventy three
1: 73 players in the masters
2: that is true it is a very easy cut to make i think either of us could do it honor <laughs> like fourth <laughs> or fifth try you know once we get a little course knowledge under under the belt i mean yeah he'll probably make the cut at the masters he's done it 23 years in a row and then the other three who knows really
1: okay hit me with what you got next i've already done three of mine. So I've only got two left. Uh,
2: My, my tiger one was more, I'm looking forward to the international team winning the 2024 president's cup at in Montreal. Wow. And throwing the, throwing the United States leadership room into a loop. I mean, we got Jim Furyk at the helm this time around.
1: Love that. Yeah.
2: He's part of that. Freddie couples, Davis love the third. Zach Johnson, Steve Stricker group, and even after the Ryder Cup, Davis Love III was like, yeah, I think we need some new blood in there. So I'm hoping that means we get some new blood in 2025. And I think a lot of people are looking at Tiger Woods to captain the ship at Bethpage, but I do not believe he will be the captain for the U.S. Ryder Cup team at Bethpage Black. I think he's got plenty going on right now. Trying to save the PGA Tour as a player director, trying the TGL, trying to save the TGL as well. Who knows what's going to go on there? But, um, well, so I think luckily we could mind, save
1: that conversation to when we do this again in in, in a year.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Hopefully, there's a lot of a lot of golf leagues that need to be saved right now, and and Tiger appears to be the guy saving them. So, I think after the international team beats the uh, U.S. team. I think the leadership room is going to be in a tizzy. But, I mean, they'll name the captain before that, but I I, I don't think it'll be Tiger Woods at Bethpage at
1: 25. Ooh, interesting. Who do you think it, it would be instead, then?
2: Man, I have no idea. I mean, the leadership room is very scarce. I, I know. I mean, God, Phil leaving, like, threw such a wrinkle into it where he's just the obvious choice for Bethpage. And right. then I've, I've heard. Freddie a- a- anytime, in any, there.
1: anytime you could you can find a guy to captain your team that bet four hundred k on the event just to feel alive. You take it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've heard Freddie Couples' name tossed out there, but I mean that guy spills state secrets with the best of them. Right. Uh, although that might've been a huge ploy in hindsight, which did nothing to help the team.
1: You you can't give Cam Young uh, to run around one more time.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And every, everyone's playing five pretty much. Um, and then only Max Oma does. So I honestly have no idea. I know they added Stewart sink last year. They added Webb Simpson at the president's cup. It's kind of just like a lot of uninspiring.
1: I'm good on sea Island. Right. Yeah. I'm good on sea Island. I think all those, um, the Stu Sanks, the Webb Simpsons, the Zach Johnsons, the AI, this guy was generated in a lab in Sea Island. I think I think I'm good on those guys.
2: Yeah. So I, I don't I don't know where they go to tell you the truth. Back um, to the, but back, hopefully. Go ahead.
1: I was gonna say back to the president's cup. Do you think that the I think the uh, international team has their best chances completely contingent on if the live guys can play.
2: Yeah, and it's coupled with, you know, maybe some American guys move on as well. And so like if either of those happen, the international team could be in a, a much better spot than originally thought. But you think about I mean they have a really nice young crop with Minwoo and Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh you throw in Uh, Jason Day and Adam Scott, Hideki, uh, Cam Davis is probably in for a big year, I'd say, after being sick for the first half of
1: 2023. Yeah, Um, Sung Su Woo, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I I like their chances a lot, honestly, in Canada.
1: All right, I will go with my number four, which is, what are we going to see out of Rory McIlroy this year, both on and off the course? So I'll start with on the course. You know, he's coming off statistically maybe the best stretch of golf in his entire career. And once again, we've got a major championship in Valhalla that Rory's got some history at. Uh, This is actually the site of the last major that Rory has ever won. How serendipitous would it be for him to break his 10-year major drought at the place where he last found glory, right? We're both writers. The columns write themselves. I also feel like we've been in this three-year time loop where every major venue we go to is suddenly the most romantic and fitting place for Rory to end his major drought. First, you've got St. Andrews, the home of golf, where Rory broke onto the scene in 2010, his favorite golf course in the world. Ah, this is the spot. And then you've got Hill; He's an honorary member there. An adopted Rochesterian, his wife's from the area. Okay, that didn't work out. Let's go to Royal Liverpool. The last time we were here, guess who won? I was Rory McIlroy. And now back to Valhalla, right? What do you know? The site of Rory's last major championship victory. And it it just goes on and on and on, where it almost feels like the more perfect of a story, the more history at the venue, the more we want to romanticize it, the less likely it is to come to fruition and Rory's going to break the major drought surrounded by a bunch of AI-generated fans at like BGA Frisco in 2029 when everyone's just done with his shit.
2: Yeah, I think, like you said, I I don't think it's really a coincidence that Rory McRoy's best two years coincided with the world of golf going up into flames. And... I don't really know what to expect of him on the course because he's been so good. You would think he's 34 now, probably got a handful of more years in his prime before he starts to fall off a little bit. But, I mean, who knows? He looks as good as ever. He looks better than he was when he was winning major championships. So, I mean, it sounds so cliche to say that, oh, he just needs to put himself – in the mix more and more and the ball is eventually going to bounce his way. But that's really what he needs to do.
1: I think like you mentioned the off the course stuff too. He's kind of entering this weird new era himself. Like he's no longer on the pack. He already has gotten plenty chippy on Twitter waiting into the rollback stuff, which let me tell you firsthand, like Rory, it's not a kind place out there. For the pro rollback advocates, I actually think me and Rory feel the same way about a rollback, and I listen man, I don't really know what the game plan is here you're going to get torched by the masses with that one so after the guy is seeming seemingly speaking his mind about live in what I thought was generally very rational thoughts on Liv, but also very polarizing in the way that he waded into Liv when other people kept their mouth shut, he's once again, like he's not shying away from speaking his mind, which I have a lot of admiration for, but sometimes I just question what the upside is a little bit. Like he comes out and says, most amateurs are not going to be able to tell a difference with a rolled back ball. Okay. In a vacuum, Rory, I agree with you. Um, I don't think you're wrong about that. But I know from being on the internet over the last three days that people on the internet do not agree with you. They don't agree with you. And I don't know if you need to really be the one telling people that the 25 handicap isn't going to tell a difference in their golf ball, even if you're right because i don't think that's going to land for people coming from you the the 0.0001% of skill and elitism when it comes to this and like i said while he's right you know it could you could say it's a little tone deaf and and mainly it's just catnip for your detractors right like talk about something that's easy to pounce on in terms of all the fans that think you're wildly out of touch with you know the general golf ecosystem. So, like I said, I've got a lot of admiration for him having the balls to speak his mind in a generation of golfers. You know, like I said, that are just generated out of the the Sea Island AI lab. Uh, like that should be what we want in our star athletes as people that cover the game. It's a lot more fun when our stars talk to us and say interesting things, but. When it comes to Rory, I just question if maybe the the on-the-course stuff would come a little easier to him if he sat a couple of these ones out.
2: Yeah, I think uh, he he came across as a guy who hasn't been on the internet for a few years, which (laughs) (laughs) was definitely the case. But I kind of tossed out there when he decided to resign from the policy board, which was something he was thinking about since the summer that he might actually become more likable just because he's out of the spotlight.
1: Yeah. He's maybe. not going to be
2: in front of the mic having to say all these polarizing things. He can just play golf. And let's be honest, he doesn't love to watch Rory McIlroy swing a golf club. I mean, sure. no matter what you think about the man, he's one hell of a golfer and he's got one of the most beautiful swings ever. So uh, that that's kind of what I thought with the him kind of leaving the spotlight, so to speak. But, I think it does. I mean, I think it did really help him a lot with all the shit going on uh, inside the ropes and whether he can channel some sort of that same in- energy somehow or whatever the hell. I mean, who knows? Maybe Rory McIlroy will be on a live golf team in 2024 if huh. if the Champions League I pre- I uh, presented becomes true. And I mean, who who knows where... He is mentally going into 2024. It felt like that tweet about the rollback was him venting, maybe about some other stuff. I know Rick put on his tinfoil hat and was reading into the last sentence where he said, you know, everything else in this game is about money. He thought that was a sign as, oh, John Rahm is going to live golf. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know. I don't know what to think of Rory. I mean, statistics, he's as good as he's ever been. It's just the mental and, and emotional side that who knows. All
1: right. Hit me. You got two more, right? I've got, I've got only one more.
2: Yes, I have. Oh, that one's kind of boring. Uh, I have the return of. Let's just say the boys. I'm really intrigued of what Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth will do okay. in 2024.
1: I, I am too. Um, I think this is a, a fascinating fascinating subplot.
2: Yeah, Jordan Spieth, because he had a great spring. People just forgot how good he was in the spring. He played great at the Masters. That followed up uh, him kind of luck boxing around Bay Hill Sunday there before his luck ran dry, coming out, down the stretch of the Arnold Palmer uh, probably should have won the ballast bar, but he hit one in the water late, uh, lost in a playoff at the RBC heritage. And you're like, okay, after this spring, Jordan speed, PGA championship. I know it's not a great statistical fit for him at Oak Hill, but he's playing some pretty damn good golf. Yeah. And then, or, or then quill hollow happens Monday. He hurts his wrist, hurts his back, which was underreported playing with his son, never seemed to recover. Had a really forgettable summer outside of the first round in Memphis. Horrible Ryder Cup. Horrible. He was atrocious in Rome. Even he would admit that, I think. And then he comes to the hero, plays. I mean, he struck the ball beautifully the first two days. And that follows up him admitting he hurt his wrist again during the offseason. Figured it was some sort of nerve damage. But at least he knows now. But I mean, who is Jordan Spieth moving forward? Is he a guy who wins once a year and contends in one major year is that all we're going to get from him that's kind of where i lean to tell you the truth and then obviously justin thomas he's like thirty-ish, 30 ish 27th ish in the world right now
1: back on gluten we should say
2: back on gluten uh seemingly back on his normal statistical profile as well of hitting iron shots Heavenly and missing a whole lot of putts just based on that four-round sample size in the Bahamas. But I've got really high expectations because kind of similar to Rory, Justin Thomas is a very emotional player. Mm -hmm. And he definitely, definitely heard everyone, myself included, rip him for the past eight months. And yeah. I know he would love nothing more than just to shove it back into our faces. Uh, and, you know, him taking ownership of his swing him you know, really grinding this off season, I think, I mean, I'm expecting a really monster season for Justin Thomas to tell you the truth, at least two wins, which I mean, relative I, I, compared to where we, we were with Justin Thomas. I, I think he could be in store for a really nice bounce back here.
1: I agree. I'm buying the JT stock. The Spieth one's really fascinating. I actually just wrote a pretty long piece about this uh, for your colleague Rick's website, where I was looking at Spieth's career, his career trajectory. It's really one of the more fascinating careers in modern golf. I think people misremember just how good Jordan Spieth was from 2015 to 2017. And I think People think of Jordan Spieth as this escape artist, this great putter who, you know, magic beans, right? Like he kind of never passes the eye test, but he just finds a way to get the ball in the hole. That's just not actually how it played out in 2015 to 2017. Spieth was the best iron player in the world. The most well-rounded player in the world. Like he was a really good driver of the ball. Yes, he was a good putter, but that's not even remotely why he won those three majors and 12 times in a, in a three-year stretch. He had like 30 top fives in, in three years. It was unbelievable. So I'm really interested to see. And then the fall from grace too, right? Like the last five years with Spieth, if you actually break down the numbers, this is the thing I wrote about. It was kind of just a combination of everything. It wasn't really one thing that fell off the cliff. The off the tee just got a little bit worse. The irons just got a little bit worse. The short game was kind of the only thing that stayed really good. And the putter just got a little bit worse too. Whereas Justin Thomas was a little bit more pronounced in his struggles last year. Like he had his worst iron year and his worst putting year by far. And I think both rebound. I mean, let me ask you this right now to put a, put a bow on these guys. Who's more likely to win the Masters? Who'd you rather bet right now to win the Masters, saying both are between 25 and 30 to 1? Jordan Spieth. I probably would, JT. I mean, yeah, it, interesting.
2: I, just Jordan Spieth at that place. I, I I always say Jordan Spieth has two built-in major chances every year, between the Open and his creativity and affinity for Lynx Golf over there and the Masters. Um, I mean, he can he showed up in 2018 as a, as a shell of his former self. Yeah. And if not for that that. tree branch on the 72nd hole, he's what he's in a playoff with Patrick Reed potentially. Yeah. Um, so it's just something out there. I know JT's had some good runs there, but I mean, never really in contention. So I I would go with, uh, with speed.
1: Okay. I'm going to give you my final one. And I kind of can't believe we haven't talked about him yet, but I also totally can because he doesn't really give us much off the course. But I got to say, Scheffler's 2023 T-degree numbers, Data Golf had this in their newsletter the other day. They're the second best in the entire strokes gained era behind Tiger in 2006. Pretty sure in 2006, Tiger won like six or seven times. At least Scheffler put a nice little bow on 2023 with the hero. But really, really curious to see what Scheffler's follow-up is to that season. Have we considered a possibility where the putter gets better for Scotty Scheffler and the ball striking remains at this historic, unsustainable level that we saw from him in 2023, because that's what happened at the hero, right? And I think conventional wisdom, if you are asking me to put my prognosticating hat on and tell you right now what I think is going to happen for Scotty Scheffler in 2024, I would say, I bet you the putter come gets a little bit better. And the ball striking gets a little bit worse, right? Like we see a little bit of regression Mm -hmm. to the mean in both categories. And maybe he catches a little bit more wind luck. I'll give him credit. He is working tirelessly on this putting thing with Phil Kenyon. And maybe he's two in his head, but he's six out of 20 in, in Albany. And to be honest with you, when you hit the ball like Scotty, that's that's kind of all you need. Like he gained, a, I know it's a twenty-man field, but he gained a stroke putting, and won by three or four. And there's like three or four tournaments last year, big ones too. One or two of them might be a major. Where if Scotty gains a stroke putting, a stroke, he wins. So I'm really curious to see how what that interaction looks like is, does the putter go up and the ball strike goes down or, or what kind of relationship those two have in 2024?
2: Oh, he could have won the PGA, which I'm sure will get people riled up for saying that it's he true. He could have yeah. run away from the field at Jack's place. Uh Very true. And the week before at colonial, uh, I think he still finished a shot outside that playoff somehow.
1: LACC and, too, like didn't, he right there too.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's four and he won twice. So, uh, yeah, I, I think what you said, is probably what I would think as well, where, okay, the ball striking was dumb, silly in 2023. It's got to revert a little bit in the putting. I mean, I think the year before he gained about a, a stroke a tournament on the green, when he won four times that breakout year.
1: Yeah.
2: And, and so, I mean, his I think his ball striking is going to be better than 2022. And if his putter can somehow return to that level, he won four times in 2022. Oof, uh, I mean, would you put his over under for win count at, let's say three and a half? Are you going over or under?
1: I actually it's funny you ask that because this was posted in one of my completely degenerate golf group chats. I think I think it's so hard to win now on the PGA Tour even with some of the exodus to live. I don't know if you can put any player at more than 2.5 of the over-under. But in Scheffler's case, I think 3 feels right, right? Like if you gave me 3.5, I'm taking a slight under and if you gave me 2.5, I'm taking a slight over. What about you?
2: I think I kind of lean to four.
1: Four, Honestly, four with a major.
2: Four? No, no, not. I mean, not necessarily with a major, but four wins in 2024. I think. uh, I mean, he could have won like ten times in 2023. (laughs) He could have. Oh man, he was he was on my list as well. To tell you the truth, Uh, so that's
1: is that your final one.
2: I could I could go somewhere else, kind of the uh, let's go with these crop of these five guys who pissed me off. Let's go with these five. Um, they the what guys. are we going to see in major? What are we going to see in major championships from Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantlay, Tony Finau, Max Homa, and I'm going to throw Cameron Young in there because he's I'm, been pissing I, me off. Lately. I
1: knew you were going in this direction. I'm pretty sick of Cantlay and Xander shit, to be honest with you. And I think the Ryder Cup was a culmination of that for a lot of people. Now, what I'll say about Cantlay is the one thing that he did kind of prove at the Ryder Cup is that the guy does seem to want the ball, right? And I Mm -hmm. think he's got a couple... Like, I was breaking down... I do a early major championship December futures preview that I just recorded last week. And I, so I was looking pretty closely at Valhalla. And it's like, man, Jack Nicholas course reminds me a lot of Muirfield Village, grass Greens. You're out of excuses, pal. like if you're if you can't show up at a place like Valhalla, I don't know what to say to you anymore. So I will tell you, I think Cantley is the best golfer out of those five, but I, mm-hmm. I can't sit here and definitively tell you that a single one of them is going to be on a, a betting card for me at a major next year. And this is coming from a guy that probably hung on way too long that he should have with those guys.
2: Yeah, the thing with it, it's so funny how Cantley and Xander's major championship finishes are, I mean, Xander has much better, higher finishes, but as of late, at least last year, the last couple of years, they've been pretty similar where they kind of just live in that T 12 zone. Mm-hmm. And the way they get there is just so different. Like, at least Xander puts himself out there a little bit, right? He's out there on the dating apps. He's swiping right. He's doing all the right things. His prompts are probably a little quirky for all we know, but he's going on dates. He, you know, he's getting hurt every now and again, but he's putting himself out there. Patrick Hantley is in his basement playing video games, and then. You know, his, his mom makes a meatloaf and he goes upstairs and he smells it. He's like, all right, guess I'm finishing T-12 at the U.S. Open this time. And it's just like, I applaud Xander for at least putting himself in the position at first. Yes. Xander's,
1: Xander's hitting the <laughs> local bar scene on Friday night and then getting ghosted by the girl he buys yeah. a vodka katonic for.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yes. It, it, the first whole, of the third round of the U S open was ugly. Oh, we all I was there.
1: Yeah. I was following that <laughs> Rory Sander. Group. Yeah.
2: It, it wasn't fun to watch, but he was there. That's what matters. And, and I think that's kind of what I want to see from Tony Finau who hasn't had a top 10 in major championships ever since he's learned how to win. Mm-hmm. And of course, Maxoma who's coming off his first major top 10, granted the the back door of back doors at the open, but maybe that can you know stoke some confidence for him. and then for Cameron Young, it's just like, what are we getting at? like what is Cameron Young? Who is Cameron Young really? like is he this guy that everyone thought he was going to be, given his his rookie year and what he's done at major championships, you know, being right there at the p g a championship, being right there at the open championship as well. Uh, or is he kind of just a guy who can hit it long? His iron play wasn't that great on the corn Ferry tour. Maybe it won't be that great moving forward. His short game is, Oh, just atrocious. And so, you know, I, I kind of, I need to see something from Cameron Young this year, just in general.
1: Yeah. Cameron Young's a fun little sliding doors because he's like two shots away from two major championships and he hasn't even won on the PGA tour who's, if you had to pick one to most likely to win a major in 2024, who would you pick out of the five?
2: Man, I think honestly I, I would go with Max oma w-
1: Which one, I, which one do you think it it would be?
2: Oh gosh. That's a great question. I don't know. I feel like Max could win an open somehow.
1: I think like so, he so too.
2: Whether it are open.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Yeah.
2: And and he's he's been on record saying he also thinks that'd be his best chance. So why not? Like you're speaking of like people who want the ball. Like that dude's done everything except compete in a major championship at this stage. Winning at Genesis, you know, that putt to not to not lose the Ryder Cup. Played great at the President's Cup too. It's like all right, man, you're 33 ish now. Yeah. Something like that. Like it's, it, it's time to go. It's now or never.
1: Yeah. I think I'd maybe still go Cantlay just because I think he's the best pure golfer out of that group. And mm-hmm. I think Valhalla is a pretty darn perfect spot for him. But it's tough, man. It's tough. I do the major over unders every year. I did them this year with another one of your colleagues, Kyle Porter. And we were talking about all these 0.5 guys, right? Where it's like, Mm -hmm. what's Cantlay's all these guys that are now entering their thirties. We're running out of major championships, guys. Like not all these guys are going to finish their career with one. And especially what more can remind us that of a year where we've got freaking Brian Harmon and Wyndham Clark winning a major. So all five of those guys, it's like, can't lay point five. Is he going over or under? Xander point five. Is he going over or under? I think maybe two and three is probably out of the equation with a lot of those guys. But it's really going to be interesting to see which one of them gets that one, uh, because it I think it changes a lot of a lot of how we think about those guys.
2: Yeah, I think I forget who mentioned it first, but someone said to think about the player's championship as a half major. Yeah. I forget, I forget who said it, but when you, when you say it, like when you say it out loud, it like, it really does make a lot of sense. It's like, okay, Scotty Scheffler has, you know, one and a half majors. Mm -hmm. Rory McIlroy has four and a half majors. Ricky Fowler, he has a half major. That that probably makes some sense. (laughs) Like it, it really does like, help. That's how I, I've started to put things into perspective by adding the players as a half major.
1: All right, my friend. This is a blast. We'll do it again soon, buddy. What you you got anything exciting to plug coming up in December? Are you taking some time off? What's what's going on with you the next couple of weeks?
2: Uh nothing much. Just working, working till the new year, working till uh, you know, I'm working hard until this framework agreement's done just like jay just like jimmy just like eddie the rest of my boys yeah um as for things to plug nothing too much just uh if you do follow me uh subscribe to my newsletter status update pretty much just all my unsolicited thoughts that can't be housed on CBSports.com or else i'd be fired uh <laughs> so be, be sure to subscribe to that
1: all right, buddy. Safe travels the rest of your drive. And uh, it was good to see you, my friend. We'll do it again soon.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Andy. All
1: right, that is it for the podcast. We will be back next week. Until then, best of luck with your bets in the NFL this week. Enjoy the holidays, and we will see you next time. Cheers.
2: If I ventured in the slipstream
1: between the of your dream. Where mobile steel runs crack And the dead in the back road stop